Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, all the ships at sea. This is Travel Talk Radio with your host, Bob Nessoff. We have a very, very interesting guest this evening. Scott um, is, a, is the CEO uh, and president of Explore Fairbanks. That's Scott McRae. Uh, good evening, Scott. Or in Alaska, it's probably very early in the day. How are you? Hey, Bob, wonderful to hear your voice. It's about uh, right around 3 p.m. here in Alaska, so still got a couple hours left here in the workday. Well, I will, I will tell you just a quick anecdote before we go into a Q&A. I woke up, I was up, as you know, up there just recently. I woke up at 11.30 and panicked thinking I had missed half of the conferences I had to go to. I looked out the window, it was bright outside, then I realized it was 11.30 at night. Yeah, so, I haven't gotten used to that. <laughs> no, it, you know, I've called uh, Fairbanks home for about 37 years, and even even still, you know, these summers take me by surprise. When we launch into the midnight sun season, got that 24 hours of, of daylight, it's just uh, it's a unique phenomenon for certain. That's, it's like I said, it's, it's tough to get used to. Well, I, I assume after a while you do, or you have very dark curtains. Anyway, let me ask you. This, oh yeah, blackout, blackout curtains are very common. <laughs> I didn't have them in the hotel room. Um, ah. People have a lot of misconceptions about about Alaska and Fairbanks and what have you. Um, there, there was a story years ago of the two congressmen, one from Texas and one from Alaska, arguing over some mundane subject, and the Alaskan looked at the Texan and said, "If you keep this up, we're going to vote to cut Alaska in half." and make Texas the third largest state in the country. That's how big <laughs> Alaska is for my, for my listeners. One of the greatest misconceptions about yeah. Alaska is that it's always covered in snow. How true is that, Scott? Uh, that is uh, entirely un- untrue. Um, it is not covered with snow 365 days a year. We are not living in, in igloos. Um, we, too, take American currency. Uh, <laughs> there's, there's a... On and on, there's, you know, different things that come on that, you know, people have, again, about these misperceptions of, about Alaska. But, I mean, my goodness, I, you know, here in, uh, in in Fairbanks in interior Alaska, we're in our summer season. It's We've already seen temperatures up to 80 degrees uh, Fahrenheit at a, a couple of times. Um, so, yeah, no, we have seasons uh, just like everyone else. A um, little different. Our seasons can be a little bit shorter, so... Springtime is about two weeks, and fall is about two weeks, and, uh, you know, the, the winter season dominates, you know, a majority, you know, of the year. But these summer months that we have are just absolutely spectacular. Oh, well, that, that sounds great. What's the best time of the year for somebody from the lower 48 to visit Fairbanks? Well, you know, Bob, a big part of that is what are they specifically looking to experience, because the difference between summer and winter, especially here in Fairbanks, is just completely radically different, both in terms of what Mother Nature has to offer versus the various, you know, tours and activities that are provided. So summer is our peak season. That's when we see, it, you know, a majority in terms of numbers of, you know, visitors from the lower 48 and internationally are coming here. We are um, a, a cruise destination here in Fairbanks, which th- – seems nonsensical given that we're about 500 miles inland, but we see cruise passengers who come here who are doing the cruise ships to Seward and Whittier, then doing a land tour that will bring them up to Fairbanks and, uh, and Denali National Park. Um, 
So amazing summertime experiences, but then when we get into winter, um, we also have an added benefit here in interior Alaska. That's when we get into what we call our aurora season, northern lights season. So we're one of the best places in the world to come and see the northern lights. So we see a lot of visitors who come in the winter months, so they have an opportunity to see that um, pretty incredible natural phenomenon. That's a bucket list for so many people. Okay. Um, you know, we, we briefly kind of joked about the, the daylight and the darkness. Uh, tell us about that. How do you adjust to it, and you know, how radical is that, the, uh, the long days, the long nights? Yeah, so let's see. We are about um, – today is the – well, we're about a week away from, uh, from summer solstice, uh, June 21st, uh, the longest day of the year. We have a uh, – a sunset, I think it's around uh, 1 a.m. or so, and then, you know, the sun rises about an hour and a half later at 2.30, so there's no darkness there. You know, it's we actually have 70 days of consecutive daylight here during, uh, you know, during the summertime. You know, those late evenings, you can get to some of that kind of civil twilight, but we have people, you know, this time of year doing anything and everything outside. You got people golfing outside, you know, with the tea, tea time, you know, late at night. We have coming up our Midnight Sun baseball game, which is now in, I think it's 105th year. Um, they've got a baseball game that's on summer solstice. Uh, June 21st, they start at 10 p.m., and they go into however many innings it takes. It can go up to 2 a.m., 3 a.m., never using artificial light. Um, so it's just a great – there's just – I think with the summer season, you know, the thing with that amount of daylight – there's just so much energy. I mean, people are just excited, whether it be visitors or locals who are embracing the 24 hours of daylight. You know, sometimes on the weekends I'll be out working on my yard and realize, oh, it's midnight. I should probably go to bed uh, here soon. So it is. It's just an, an amazing experience to be able to witness that. On the flip side, we have our winter season, and then we have winter solstice. That's on December 21st. That's the shortest day of the year. And I believe the sunrise on that day is around 10, 30, uh, 11 a.m. And then sunset is around 2.30 uh, p.m. So talk about a big difference between June 21st and December 21st. But the nice thing about it, though, is even though, you know, that's when the sunrise and sunset is, is um, we're not just engulfed in constant darkness during the winter. I mean, the hours of daylight when the sun is up, um, clear skies, it's just brilliant out with the snow on the background, uh, the snow on the ground. It's just, um, it's spectacular in an entirely different way than it is, uh, than it is summer. Um, you know, further north, you know, going up, you know, above the Arctic Circle, that's when you get into places up along the Arctic Ocean where they've got a sunset like in mid-November. It doesn't come back up again until uh, mid-January. So um, that even though those, you know, that wintertime, you know, the, you don't have as many hours of daylight, but there's still so much to be able to, to see and do. I mean, you know, I could say one thing about, you know, Fairbanks. You never say when it comes to let visitors, you don't say to visitors, we're going to guarantee something that pertains to Mother Nature. But I can tell you what, um, if someone is looking to uh, experience wintertime, I can guarantee you if they come to Fairbanks in December, they're going to experience winter. <laughs> What does the temperature drop to over there? Um, we have so probably the coldest that we have seen, and this is 
this has changed, you know, in, in recent years. Back when I first moved to Fairbanks, um, 1987, you know, it, was, it wasn't uncommon that we would see cold snaps, typically during the month of December and January, where the, the temperatures could drop down. Uh, I think coldest I've experienced has been around 65 degrees uh, below zero. So, yeah, it does get a bit cold here, but what we tell people, um, you know, kind of the good thing about our cold is that it's a dry cold. We're located here uh, within the Tanana Valley. We're protected by mountain ranges to the south and to the north, so it's rare that we get a wind chill here, you know, in the wintertime. So it's a real dry, still cold. Um, so, yeah, back in the day, we used to see really extreme cold temperatures, but I think looking back, even just the last four winters or so, there's only been a handful of times that we've seen temperatures as cold as, as 40 below. So there's, you know, we, we're seeing the changes in the climate are, you know, front and center here in Alaska, and we definitely see it, you know, within those, you know, those wintertime temperatures. Well, you, you say a dry, a dry cold. That's almost like the people in Phoenix, Arizona, saying it's 200 degrees, but it's a dry heat. It's exactly, it's exact, yeah, we're aware of that. It's, you know, we try to put that, that positive spin on it to the best extent uh, that we can. How much <laughs> snow is, do you so average in the wintertime? Um, we typically here in, uh, in Fairbanks, we don't, uh, because we get little precipitation, we don't see too much, um, you know, rain in the, in, you know, in, in the summertime and in the wintertime, uh, by the amount of snowfall that, that we get, it's not as much as more places, you know, to the, um, you know, to the south of us, you know, south central Alaska, et cetera, that are closer to the ocean and get much more precipitation. The good thing about our snow is when we do get it, so usually around Halloween is usually where we're going to see some of the first snowfall. <laughs> um, going to November, that's when we'll have enough snow to be able to get outside and do those winter activities that bring visitors to us, so dog mushing tours, um, you know, ice fishing, snow machining, etc. But once the snow does come, it's pretty much it's going to stay until until April. So it's not a lot of snow, but a lot of months to be able to enjoy and experience and uh, do activities that involve the snow. All right. One of, one of the nice uh, activities that I was fortunate enough to participate in when I was up there recently was the uh, cruise on the uh, how do you pronounce it, Chena River. And, uh, the Chena uh, River, yes. Yeah, it was really, it was really relaxing. Uh, Wade Binkley, I believe, is a family who's owned the, uh, that line for quite a number of years, and several generations. Um, tell us about that and the sites that there is to yeah, see along, a, that, along that cruise on the river. You bet. Yeah, so that's probably one of our, uh, probably one of our more popular, you know, uh, summertime tours of all the various tours that we have here. It's the Riverboat Discovery. Um, and I think it's now being operated, it's, uh, I think it's on the third generation now. So it was uh, Captain Jim Binkley and his wife, Mary, who uh, many, many years ago, I'm mean, going back to the 50s, you know, first started doing these sternwheeler tours on the Chena River that, uh, that, flows through, um, that flows through Fairbanks. And it's a great, the cool thing about this tour is it's a, it's a great Fairbanks 101 tour. Of sorts, so it covers all the important, I think, details that define Fairbanks and have made us, you know, who we are. So it, 
we'll cover, um, you know, uh, dog mushing. It's, you know, even though it's in the summertime, it stops along the way on the river there, and there was a presentation by um, the family of Susan Butcher, probably one of the most famous sled dog racers in the Iditarod sled dog race that's held in Alaska. They do a little sled dog demonstration. Um, and there's just talk about the history of the river, the role the river plays in, you know, in Fairbanks' history. And then probably I think my favorite parts of the tour is it stops at what's called the Chena Indian Village, and it's a chance for people to learn about the very rich Alaska culture of the Alaska Native people who, um, you know, called this region here in interior Alaska home hundreds of years before people like me do. And that's, that's a big part. You always talk about, you know, people think of Fairbanks and Alaska, and they think of, like we've been talking about, Mother Nature. But just an important component to that in our mind is the human nature. Um, and that includes, of course, you know, getting a chance for uh, the people, the Alaskan Native people, to be able to talk about their culture and their traditions with visitors, but just people in general here. You know, we're known as the Golden Heart City of, of Alaska. That's been our motto for many years now. Um, and that's for three reasons. One has to do with, the, of course, our gold rush history, which is why Fairbanks became incorporated back around 1902. Um, there's the fact that we're located right in the middle of Alaska, so kind of the heartbeat of the state. But the big one of why we're the Golden Heart is the, the hospitality and the friendliness of the people who live, work, and play here um, year-round. A lot of people take away and say, boy, yeah, we saw the, we were there in the winter, we saw the Northern Lights, we did these great tours, but what they remember the most is the people that they got a chance to interact with while they were here. Yeah, I think I had contact with a couple of Athabascan people, and I did, as you, as you say, I found them to be very friendly, always smiling, and very, very helpful. Yeah, okay, it's now, a very, I think... I'm sorry, you did mention that that dog sled area uh, is run by uh, Susan Butcher's family. Uh, I found yeah. it quite interesting that what they did was they hitched the dogs. The dogs were barking. They couldn't wait to be tied into the, into the uh, sled. But there was a, a vehicle on wheels. The dogs took off with it, and you could see they were enjoying what they were doing. Did a big circle around, and as soon as they came back, completed the circle, and they were unhitched. I've never seen dogs... <laughs> Make a dash for the river the way every one of these did, and they're just splashing around. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, there's sometimes you know you know people think of um, you know dog mushing as you know they they quite it that there's a cruelty aspect to it, but um, these dogs, these you know these huskies that are you know the, the sled dogs, this is in their blood. This is what and and you saw that, Bob. You saw how excited those dogs were when they got hitched up to that four wheeler. And the dogs who were in the kennel, um, who were kind of being left behind, you know, they're jumping up and down because they wanted to go too. I mean, these dogs, they're born to run. They love to run. Um, I think the cruel thing would be to not allow them to, to do that. It's just, and the way that the, you know, the people who are the dog mushers, whether they own, you know, dog kennels for tours or participate in many of the different, you know, sled dog races that take place, you know, across the state. Um, they treat their dogs as their children. Um, they they treat them just like their their children. They're so well taken care of. It really is a it's it's, it's a beautiful sport in my mind. Yeah, I, w I would agree with that because I could see how happy well happy the dogs were happy when they were hitched and they couldn't wait for the either I don't remember mush jihaw what have you and they yeah. took off like a bullet. Yeah, yeah. No, that's that's definitely that's. that's 
and that's the you know, thing too. You know, coming up in the summertime, it's 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 great to be able to to see that. You know, when they're on you know dry land and pulling the four wheeler, but boy, I'll tell you, there's nothing quite like coming here in the winter time and actually being getting a chance to ride in the sled itself and just being able to feel and kind of witness the strength of those dogs as they're pulling you along a, a beautiful wintry trail in a borealis forest. It's just, it's magical. That's why I would say, you know, I tell people when the, when's the best time to come, you know, I'll say, well, here's what's offered in summer, here's what's offered in winter. Come try the one that interests you the most and then come back and experience the other season uh, because they are so just so radically different in terms of, of what they have to offer. All right, Scott, we're going to have to break for a moment or so and uh, pay some bills. So hang on, and uh, we'll be right back with Scott McRae from Fairbanks, Alaska. Bud Light presents Real Men of Genius. Real Men of Genius. Today we salute you, Mr. T-Shirt Launcher Inventor. Mr. T-Shirt Launcher Inventor. Not satisfied with standard souvenir distribution, you created a device with enough kick to dislocate a mascot's shoulder. Someone get a stretcher. Courtside, luxury box, upper deck. Your high-powered cotton cannon makes every section the nosebleed section. Hit the deck. So simple, anyone can operate it. After a background check, a training course, and a five-day waiting period. It only shoots T-shirts. So crack open a nice cold Bud Light marksman of the mezzanine, because we know you'll give us the shirt off your back at 180 feet per second. Mr. T-shirt launching there. Bud Light beer at Isaac St. Louis, Missouri. Genghis Khan. Back in the day, one of the first things we'd do when we rolled into town was confiscate the best livestock and order up a feast prepared to our exacting specifications. At Genghis Grill, you get to do much the same. Choose from 80 delicious fresh ingredients to build your own bowl, like this tangy citrus beef, and watch as our grill masters cook it to order. Hi. I've eaten children bigger than you. Genghis Grill. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to Travel Talk Radio. I'm your host, Bob Nessoff, and our guest uh, this evening is Scott McRae, who is the president and CEO of Explore Fairbanks, a city in Alaska that could still be called one of the last frontiers, but about as modern as you want as well. Hello, Scott. Hello, Bob. Uh, let me ask you this. I'm glad. I want to... Go ahead. Oh, I just wanted. I, I'm glad you you brought that up because uh, I wanted to be able to be sure to speak to that about the us being, you know, the the last frontier of being a, a truly modern city because that's sometimes that's you know a misperception people have that we're just the wild wild west here. And as you know from being at Fairbanks, we are indeed a you know a modern city. The the size of the Fairbanks North Star Borough. We have boroughs in Alaska instead of counties. Is about a hundred thousand people. Incidentally, do you know um, what state is the same size as the Fairbanks North Star Borough? Um, no. New Jersey. Oh, New, well, New Jersey is. We have something in and common. Fairbanks North Star Borough are the same size in terms of uh, <laughs> land mass. Yeah, but we have eight million people. How many do you have? Uh, we have it's a hundred, so it's a hundred thousand compared to <laughs> to eight million. In fact, the entire state of Alaska, which, as as you know, is 
so much bigger than Texas, <laughs> is about 700,000 people. So we have a we have a lot of open spaces up here. But you know, here within Fairbanks, just talking about you know we're a modern city is. You know, we have a very thriving arts and culture scene with, you know, museums and great dining and, you know, all the modern amenities, you know, that visitors want when they go to a destination, but then that ability to experience the last frontier and get out into the great outdoors, hiking five minutes away from city limits, you could be out there and be away and not be around any people at all. Let me ask you this, Scott. Is there a link that people can uh, tie into to find out more information about Fairbanks? Absolutely. That would be um, our website here at Explore Fairbanks. Uh, easy enough to remember, it's explorefairbanks.com. Uh, um, a wealth of information and uh, videos, um, uh, blogs, photos, you know, anything I think a, a potential visitor would want to know uh, to learn about what there is to see and do in our year-round destination. Links there to be able to order one of our visitor's guide, whether it be our year-round visitor's guide or our winter guide. We have a guide that's just specific to winter as well because that's such a popular season as well. So uh, explorefairbanks.com for all of your Fairbanks information. Okay, let me ask you this. Uh, I saw when I was up there, I believe it was called the, uh, I forgot what it was called, the the Auto Museum over there, Fountainhead. Oh, yeah. It's not a odd name for a... Uh, Museum, but there were cars there that would make Jay Leno blush. Uh, tell, tell us something that's, about that museum. Boy, that's just that is one of our. We call it a hidden treasure because um, a lot of people know about it, but it's it's a very unexpected surprise for visitors who come here and end up there. It's the, the Fountainhead Antique Auto Museum. It is, uh, and I, I know world class is kind of cliche, but I think it applies in this case. It is truly a world-class antique auto museum. Um, it's got about 75 um, antique autos in it, um, and it's a living auto museum. And what I mean by that, because out of the the 75 some cars that are there, only three of them are inoperable. The rest of them are still drivable, and they'll they'll take them out, um, you know, and be able, around the parking lot there. But there's boy, and as you saw, they're in just such pristine condition, and what's I think one of the cool parts about the car museum is it's not just cars. They've also, uh, the owner of the collection, he's a local property owner. He owns hotels here in, in Fairbanks. It's his private collection. Um, his wife has collected just probably also a world-class collection of wardrobes that pertain to the era of each car, and those are modeled alongside the cars. So you got kind of something for everyone there um, if you love for the for the car lover, it's a great place. For the fashion lover, you know they got that covered too. It's just really, yeah. I, as you saw from being there, it's just a, it, it's breathtaking to go in there. I've been in there countless times, and I'm just in awe now as it was the first time I went there. All right, well, let me let me ask you this. Well, we'll get into uh, Fairbanks has got a number of uh, microbreweries, distilleries. Uh, I was at the Hoodoo, the Vat 65 and the Fairbanks Distilling, Distilling Company. Uh, can't go into all of them right now because we are time-constrained. Tell me something about the uh, Fairbanks Distilling Company. That's in a very uh, uh, well-known building in the, in the city. Yeah, it's, when it, it's, when it's in one of our uh, more historic buildings. You know, when you're, you, your, your city is a little over 100 years old, you know, our, our definition of an old building is different than other parts of the, of the country. 
Um, but it's located in a building. It used to be the old um, the old city hall, and uh, they converted it. Some it hasn't been city hall for quite some time now. It was a museum at one point, but it's now home to, as you mentioned, you know, Fairbanks Distillery Company. Uh, it's a local co- local couple who kind of got into kind of like, you know a lot of people got into breweries. They did it as a hobby and then realized they're really good at it and wanted to be able to share it with others. So it's just a Right in the middle of downtown Fairbanks, uh, like I said, one of the more historic buildings there. And, um, boy, they know what they're doing when it comes to uh, vodka made with uh, Alaska growing potatoes. <laughs> because their rum isn't so bad either. And Patrick Levy is yeah. uh, quite a quite an interesting host when, when uh, people come in there. Um, oh, yeah. He, yeah, he is. We're going to be you – know, we've got about five minutes to go, and I'd like to cover some territory here. One of the famous uh, locations – in uh, Alaska is Denali, which was, the mountain was formerly Mount McKinley. Uh, it was changed yeah. some years ago to Denali, which is, is that an Athabascan name? That's correct, it is. Yeah, that was returned to its traditional native name. name. Okay, and what, what is there to see in that park that you come into uh, before you get to the mountain? Yeah, well, you know, Denali is probably the number one destination for visitors coming to Alaska in the summertime, and Fairbanks benefits by being, we're kind of the base camp gateway to Denali because we're just, we're the closest major airport to Denali, and it's about four hours on the Alaska Railroad or two hours um, driving there. But main thing for Denali is people do want a chance to go into the park and be able to see, you know, the tallest mountain in North America, but of course all those quintessential Alaskan critters that call Denali home. So there's bus tours that go into the park, and that's where people have that chance to see the grizzly bears, the moose, the caribou, the wolves. Um, It's just, boy, it's it's a rich habitat there. So that's a big focus, but around the park area too, um, where there's, you know, numerous hotel properties, um, but lots of various tours from river rafting to ATV tours to um, zip lining, flight seeing tours. It's a pretty it's a pretty hopping place there uh, in the summertime, and is you know one of those parts of Alaska that is um, on kind of on people's bucket list. They want to be able to come there and and see that that majestic mountain when the when the weather cooperates. That is. <laughs> I can't believe how much I didn't see in the time I was up there. Uh, I think we drove up and then returned by train. The train was a very interesting ride. Um, I think people going up there also would like to come home and say we were at the Arctic Circle. That's quite a drive from uh, Fairbanks, about seven, eight hours each way. Uh, it's kind of not, not too many sites along the way, a lot of forest, uh, kind of devoid of animals. But tell me, tell me something about people wanting to go up to the Arctic Circle. Yeah, we've seen a huge increase over in the, the last several years of a growing interest and in people wanting to get up and experience the Arctic. The Arctic. Uh, to say they've, they've crossed the, uh, the Arctic Circle, um, just like we're the closest airport to Denali, we're also the closest airport for people who want to make that jump up uh, to the Arctic Circle, and you did, you know, there's a variety of ways that it's done. You know, you mentioned, you know, the Dalton Highway, which is the road that was built during the pipeline. Uh, it was never intended to be an actual public highway necessarily. It was used for the truckers who were hauling supplies up and down there. So it is, it's a rough and tumble road. You know, it's not paved the entire way. It's gravel. It's, you know, it's lacking in services along the way. But you get up there and you are in the middle of nowhere. And there's that. There's kind of a beauty in that. Like I said. People who want to get out and experience parts of Alaska where them and their tour group are the only people around, 
that's what you're going to find in the Arctic is just vast, wide open spaces. And then as you get up further, you went as far as the Arctic Circle, going up, you know, further, going up to Coldfoot, and then on the way towards Dead Horse and Prudhoe Bay. That's when you get into like the Brooks Range, and you get some of the more, you know, majestic scenic aspects um, of it. But it's just, it's a great way to to get away from people. <laughs> That road up there is a very interesting road. Uh, I think it, it's kind of like a washboard road. Um, it, it is, yeah. That's why it's good to go with the tour company if you, if you can, because the types of rental vehicles that can go up there, it's pretty limited. Yeah, I understand they can all, people can also fly in if they'd like. They can, yeah. That's, so the tour that you did, that's, you did a drive up and drive back. The one that we recommend is a drive up and then fly back. So you get a chance to kind of experience the Arctic from the ground and then from the uh, from the air as, as well to get that aerial view of the valley. I wish you had told me that before we went. <laughs> we're, we're coming short on we're coming short on time now, Scott. Give us the link again for people to uh, get information about uh, Fairbanks. Yeah, you bet, Bob. That would be um, Explore Fairbanks. One word: ExploreFairbanks.com. That's the website here for the. Convention and Visitors Bureau, Explore Fairbanks here, representing Interior Alaska. Not just information on Fairbanks, but we also cover Denali and the Arctic as well. So we cover a pretty huge swath of the uh, of the state when it comes to the information that we provide. All right, we've got just under a minute to go right now. Um, is there anything to see at the Arctic Circle besides a big sign that says Arctic Circle? Um, yeah, when you get up, like I said, if you go up further past the Arctic Circle, you start getting to the tundra regions. Going up further, you get up into the mountain ranges. So it's, uh, I think the further you go, you get into some of the more scenic aspects, you know, of it. But for a lot of people, they just want that check. They want to say, here's my Arctic Circle certificate, you know, to prove that it's something they did. Because not that many people can say they've crossed the Arctic Circle. You are one God, of the, the privileged people. Yeah, I'm going to have to hold you right now, and I apologize for that. We're just about done. This was our... Scott McRae of uh, Fairbanks, uh, President and CEO. And, Scott, thank you very much for uh, taking the time out to visit with us. This is Bob Nessoff. Tune in next week. Scott, are you there? I am, yes. Okay, I think we're all, I hope we're off the air right now if we, we're chatting. <laughs> I can't I can't believe how much I didn't see up there. It's just incredible. And you know, uh, even on on the Chena River where they talk about going into the Athabascan village, we didn't do any of that. So that would have been nice. Well, maybe another time. Anyway, Scott, thank you very much. Oh, you, did, I should yeah, have a the, link. you did the riverboat. Yeah, we did. Bob, you did the riverboat tour, right? Right. You did, oh, you didn't get off the boat when we went to the Indian village? Nope, never got off. Oh, you never got off. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, tell wait, tell wait, I'm annoyed. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll tell you something very interesting. They they gave us, uh, when we had the uh, little reception after we got off the boat, there was a, a mixture of uh, salmon and cream cheese. I, I almost devoured it. It was so good. I bought, I I bought several that. cans brought home, and I was over at my daughter's house, and I, made, I mixed it up, brought it over, and I know my youngest grandson is kind of finicky. She looked at me and said, are you kidding? He didn't stop eating it. <laughs> so that, that was really really something nice. At any rate, Scott, I'll let you go. Uh, thank you very much for your time. I should have a you link uh, to the broadcast uh, tomorrow, the day after. I will send it up to you. Feel free to use it in any way 
that you'd like. And I hope this whole conversation was not broadcast on the link, but we'll find out. Okay. <laughs> Scott, be well. <laughs> yeah, you hope too, to see you uh, again. my friend. Good talking to you. Yeah, take, take care. care.